Well, good evening again. I want to thank you folks for coming out tonight and trust the Lord will bless our time in his word. There is a little feedback. I don't want to hear myself any more than I have to. <laughs> That's something you folks have to listen to. Well, I've had a great day so far, and Pat and I have truly enjoyed ourselves, and uh, kind of hate to think this is our last time we'll see you, Lord willing, until maybe next year. But I can assure you you'll be in our thoughts and prayers, and we'll trust that you'll pray for us as the Lord brings this to mind as well. Uh, this morning, uh, we mentioned we're going to be looking at the uh, Lord Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. And we focused in on, we're going to focus in on three things, the first of which we did this morning were his words. And of course, we looked at several things that the Lord said about his word, and they all are extremely important, as are all his words. We did not even begin to touch on all the things that the Lord Jesus Christ has said. But we did emphasize that whatever he says deals with three different things. His words always had authority behind them because it's God's word, his authority. We also looked at the fact how gracious his words are. And as you read through scripture and you look at all the things this Lord has said, you will see just what a gracious, loving, caring God he is. And then finally, we looked at the fact that his words were wise, wisdom. A lot of people profess to be wise in this world, but the truth of the matter is anyone who professes to be wise only exhibits their own ignorance. There's only one who is truly wise, and that's the only true and wise God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, tonight we're going to be looking at two other aspects of his earthly ministry. And it will be his walk and his works. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, is just a verse I'm going to share with you. You don't have to turn to it. It's just very simply stated, but boy, is it powerful when you stop and think about it. We read there, he that saith, he abideth in him. Remember, we mentioned this morning, uh, the only way that uh, we can ever be of any value or use for the Lord or be have words in his manner at all, is if we abide in him and his words abide in us, then we can be used of the Lord. And this verse in 1 John kind of is emphasizing the very same thing. He that saith he abideth in him ought to walk even as he walked. Now that sounds like an impossible task, doesn't it? Well, I like to think that I abide in him, that he abides in me and his word abides in me. I love his word. I'll be very honest. I do. I enjoy it, reading it, studying it. But the question is, do I live it? You see, his words were not only gracious and precious. Now, he demonstrated that whatever he said he did. And this statement that we have here in 1 John 2, 6, if we say we abide in him 
have this close fellowship and relationship with him, and I trust we do or desire to do at least, well, then what do we have to do? We have to walk as he walked. So the question now comes, well, how did the Lord walk while on earth? How did he walk? Well, I think simply stated, and I tried to put something down that was rather simply stated. I think it's just his manner of life was, first of all, simple. A very simple life. It was very sincere, and it was very godly. And as I thought about those three things, you know, simple, uh, there was no waste of time. How much time do you waste? I hate to tell you how much time I waste. We waste an awful lot of time in our walk down here. And how sincere and f or focused are we on the things of God? Well, in his walk, he was totally focused on the will of God. And godly? You say, well, Bob, I, I could never be godly. Well, I would acknowledge you and I could never be as godly as he was, for he was God. But, you know, Scripture makes it pretty clear. We have no excuse for not being godly, living godly. His divine nature has been imparted to us in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. We can be godly in Christ Jesus if we walk as he walked. And that's how he walked in every respect of his life. That's simply stated. Maybe more specifically, we could say his walk was submissive. Nobody likes that word. But his walk was submissive, always to the will of the Father. Always he was submissive. He was obedient. Always obedient to the will of his Father. How are you in obedience to the will of God in your life? Because, you see, we mentioned this morning there's a twofold purpose in looking at the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one just to remind us of what it was. But basically is to reinforce in our own lives how do we see ourselves in relationship to this? And we've been asked the question and stated in John 1, John 2, 6, we are to walk as he walked. That's the standard. It's not to walk as other believers or Christians walk. It's to walk as he walked. He always walked in perfect fulfillment of the holy will of God in every respect. You know, his joy and delight was to please the Father. Is your joy and delight to, to please your heavenly Father? This he did. And how do we know that? Well, several times his father said, this is my beloved son 
in whom I am well pleased. Another thing we notice about his walk is the power of his walk. The power, his power in his walk was the Holy Spirit of God. In Matthew chapter 13, or chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, I've already quoted the second half of that. His father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But the verse preceding that tells us that prior to hearing those words, the Holy Spirit ascended upon him and anointed him. The power that he had in his walk came from the Holy Spirit of God. How much did you depend upon the Holy Spirit of God that indwells you? That divine nature that's been imparted to you to walk as he walked. You know, it's interesting that even through the eternal spirit, he offered himself to God without spot or blemish as the perfect sacrifice for sin. This is how the Lord Jesus Christ walked. His power came from the Holy Spirit of God. But that isn't all. His authority and guide in his life or walk was the Holy Scriptures. Now, we talked about that this morning. Are the Holy Scriptures important? Is God's word important? Oh, it is extremely important. Because, you see, if it was the Lord's authority and guide in his walk, shouldn't it be in ours? And, you know, just one example of this, of course, is his temptation in Matthew chapter 4. You know, three times he was tempted. Now, we know that's three that are recorded. He was there for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And you can rest assured, the temptation went on endlessly. But we know from the three that are recorded how he responded to every temptation that became before him. He responded by using the word of God. The word of God was his authority and his guide in his walk down in here. He demonstrated that he truly was the living word of God himself. And fourthly, his life or walk was in prayerful dependence upon the Father. How was your prayerful, dependent life? How much time do you spend in prayer depending upon the Lord to enable you to walk as he walked? You see, it's not a difficult thing to see why the Lord walked the way he walked. And the truth of the matter is he has equipped us that we can, as ourselves, walk as he walked. Yes, I know, not to that perfect degree. But we can walk in a manner, even in the flesh, in a manner that's pleasing to him and, and our Heavenly Father, if we will do the same things that he did. Now, his, his walk or life could be summed up <clears throat> in the words I think of Acts chapter 10, 38. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit 
and with power, who went about doing good. Doing good. And how was he able to do that? Well, the rest of the verse tells us. For God was with him. Now, is God with you? Is God in you? Well, if you're a child of God, the answer is yes. And if God is in you, well, then you too can walk around doing good. That's how the Lord Jesus Christ walked. In everything he did, he did through the power of the Father and the Spirit in his life to his, their honor and glory. In John 17, 4, he could say, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. You know, the Lord has called all of his children to do something. <laughs> but the emphasis before us tonight is he's called us to walk even as he walked. Now, this kind of lays the groundwork for just a few things we want to mention tonight. We don't have time to exhaust these subjects. It's just to get you ready to focus your attention on them and do some work with them on your own. What lessons can we learn from the walk of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I know there's numerous lessons, but we're going to focus in on just two. First of all, we will learn what true discipleship is all about. True discipleship. You know, true discipleship is to put ourselves under the teaching and discipline of Christ. You know, he put himself under the discipline of his heavenly father, so to speak. In everything he did. And if you and I want to be true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and walk as he walked, we have to put ourselves under the teaching and discipline of of Christ himself. But you know, this is going to demand something that we really don't want to give. And that is wholehearted yielding of ourselves and all that we have at our disposal to him. Everything. You say, well, boy, that's a hard thing to ask of anyone. Well, that's what the Lord asks of us. And he has every right to. Luke 5, 11 says, So when they, Peter, James, and John, being referred to there, had brought their boats to land, what did they do? They forsook all and followed him. They forsook everything and followed him. And that's what he asked us to do. In Luke chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, the Lord Jesus Christ says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, now that's the King James rendering of that. I'm not sure that's the great rendering today because the word hate today means something different. Everybody means put me before or put them before me. And he's talking about his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and his own life also. You see, if you're not willing to put all, all him before all of these things, he says, very point blank, you cannot become my disciple. 
That's total commitment. You know, sometimes we look at that and say, well, boy, he is asking an awful lot. And, you know, as I thought about that, uh, he brought to mind something that happened in my own life way back uh, when I was, uh, shortly after we were married, we had our two little boys. They were relatively young at the time. And, you know, when it says, you know, to hate or put the, uh, your wife and your children before me, you're not supposed to do that, Bob. And I, and I understood that. And I, I was asked by somebody who we were entertaining in our home who asked me if I would be willing to go to Barranquilla, Colombia, uh, with literature crusades for seven weeks. And, you know, really without much hesitation, my answer was, yes, but on one condition. And he says, what is that? My family will have to go with me. And he said, well, we've never done that before. I says, well, my greatest responsibility before the Lord right now is my wife and my two boys to raise them and nurture them in the way of the Lord. Now, am I saying in essence to the Lord, I'm not going to go because of my wife or my children? No. If the Lord wants me to go, he understands my first responsibility, and that's my wife and my children. And guess what? They agreed. They agreed. I knew then for sure it was the Lord's will that we would go to Columbia for those seven weeks. You see, we can't use our children and other loved ones in our lives as an excuse not to do something. But you see, you seek the Lord's will in matters. And you see, he wants us to do everything that is pleasing in his sight. And I, th I thank the Lord today. What a great lesson that was for my wife and myself and my two boys. To serve the Lord together. Knowing it was in his will. Oh, there was some suffering that took place in Barranquilla. More so for my wife and my children than for me. But nevertheless, you see, the Lord honors those who honor him. But then, you know, he goes on in this verse, and he says in verse 27, And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after or follow me cannot become my disciple. Well, what does it mean to bear his cross? That's a small letter H. That's your cross and my cross. Well, what cross do we have to bear if we want to be true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it's the cross of a path of reproach, suffering, loneliness, and the list can go on and on. But you see, if you're not willing to bear his cross, or whatever the cross is he places upon you, you cannot become his disciple. I think that's pretty clear, don't you? You see, what we learn from the Lord's walk is... <laughs> what true discipleship really is. And I hope we're getting the lesson. I'm not going to turn to these verses, but in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 34 through 38, the Lord tells us point blank that we are to live lives of self-denial. 
And the main emphasis is to deny self in verse 34. What's the greatest hindrance to your being a true disciple and walking as the Lord walked? It's you. It's me. Self. Self always gets in the way. Well, if self gets in the way, you cannot be one of his disciples in the true sense of the term. In John 12, 26, he goes on and says here something that we might enjoy, partially. If anyone serves me, I know almost all of you are serving the Lord here in some way or form, at least all the ones I know. And you may not even realize to what degree you're serving the Lord. But you are. And I know it's your desire to serve the Lord. But notice here he says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And that means obey him, walk like him, bear his reproach. And then he says, and where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And as I was looking at this verse in John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. You want to learn how the Lord Jesus Christ walked? Well, I couldn't help but think of that verse where the Lord says, take my yoke upon you, on, on you and learn of me. And you know, to have the Lord on this side of the yoke and me on the other side of the yoke, if I'm in that yoke with him, guess what I'm going to learn? <laughs> I am going to learn to walk as he walked because he will lead me and guide me and direct me through all the good things but also the reproach and everything else because he bore it all himself. He will take you through the paths that he went through. But he will do it graciously and lovingly with you. And what a marvelous thing to know that anyone who truly serves him walks as he walks. The Father will honor them. Oh, we've experienced that in our lives to a degree. I'm sure nowhere near to what it could have been. How many missed opportunities I've probably thrown away. We've all thrown away. And yet, I can think of times when I've experienced his honoring us for being faithful to him. You know, it seems to me it's obvious from these passages that if we hold anything back, the lessons he would teach us will go unlearned. And I couldn't help but think, boy, how many lessons have I missed out on because I was not willing to go with him in that direction. And how many blessings would he have given me that I missed out in and lost because I didn't walk in the direction he would have me go. However, if we yield ourselves and are all to his good and perfect and acceptable will, we will learn of him and from him how to walk as he walked. So the first thing we learn here is true discipleship. 
The second thing we're going to learn if we walk as he walked is holiness. What holiness is. See, holiness is walking as he walked. Scripture makes it very clear. There's two verses, Leviticus 19.2 and verse Peter 1.16 quotes it. Be ye holy. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am holy. You're going to learn what holiness is if you walk with the Lord. You cannot walk with the Lord apart from holiness. And don't ever think you can. If there's sin in your life, you can come to meetings, you can preach, you can lead singing, you can do all kinds of things, but to no avail. You have to be walking godly in Christ Jesus if you're going to walk as he walked. You know, it's interesting, we often like to read John 1, particularly verse 14, where it says, we beheld his glory. Well, what glory are we talking about there? It's his moral glory. All right? And when do we read about his moral glory, that he was full of grace and truth? Moral glory. What did Jesus Christ reveal above all else concerning God? Oh, the world likes to say, oh, God is love. God is patient and kind. And he's long-suffering. And yes, he's all those things. But it all centers in one thing. His holiness. God is holy. If we want to walk as he walked, we have to walk in holiness. Somebody has said a holy life is a Christ-like life. To be like Christ is the only way to be holy. Let me read that again in case you just didn't get it all. A holy life is a Christ-like life. To be like Christ is the only way to be holy. That brings us back to the verse we started with. We are to walk as he walked. And he walked in holiness. Now I realize our holiness will never be like his holiness. But again, that desire should be there. And remember, you've been equipped with a divine nature that enables you to live godly in Christ Jesus. You have all the great and precious promises of God going back to his word. We didn't even get to any of those this morning. But what do all those great and precious promises promise us? That we will escape the corruption that is in this world through lust. Yes, I know there's wickedness all around us. You have to be deaf, dumb, and blind not to notice that. It's there. But we don't have to succumb to it. We still are to live godly in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would just suggest we're going to have to move on. We're not even going to get to the, the walk at all. But 
You know, as we gaze upon him as he walked, so we become like him. And that's where we get back to what we talked about this morning. How can I gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ? It's through his word. You know, I find when I am in God's word, I have a lot less trouble living for the flesh. But when I'm not in God's word, it's so much easier to fall into the traps of this world and the flesh. You see, we're to look and gaze upon him and see how he walked so we can be conformed to his dear image. See, this is how the Lord Jesus Christ walked while on earth, and we should walk as he walked. Well, we have to move on. I want you now to look at John 10, 25. We're going to look at his work. And we're just going to spend a short time on this, only because I spent a little bit more time on the first one. But again, I don't claim to exhaust this subject tonight. It's just to get you thinking about it a little bit more. In John chapter 10, verse 25, we read these words, the Lord speaking. The works I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. The works I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. There is a, a psalm that speaks of the greatness of our Lord's walk, and it's Psalm 111. We don't have time to read that tonight, but I want you to make note of it and go home and read it. It speaks so beautifully of the greatness of our Lord's works, Psalm 111. You know, in Isaiah 61, and again in Luke chapter 7, we are told about the miracles and signs that Jesus did that attested to his claim to be the Son of God. And they revealed his great power and grace. And of course, he did this, of course, to prove to others who he was, that he was equal with the Father, that he was God, he was deity. Now, those works you and I cannot do. All right? Those works we can't do. We're not God. But what I want to focus in here as we look at his works and have us examine our own lives is the motives. What were the motives behind the works that the Lord did? The motives of his mighty works. Well, the positive very simply was everything he did was to glorify God. To glorify God. He says in John 17, 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. And I thought, well, you know, there are some things about his works that were not his motives. You know, motives in our works are extremely important. All of us seek to work and serve the Lord. But it's extremely important what our motive is when we're doing this. And just let me remind you of a couple of things that were not what motivated him. He never did his works for his own advantage. In Matthew 26, 51 through 54, at his betrayal, he could have called 12 legions of angels to set him free, but he didn't. Nothing for his own advantage. He never did it out of revenge or judgment of his enemies. 
In Luke 23, 24, he prayed for their forgiveness as he was bearing their sins and ours in his body on Calvary's tree. He never used his works to make a display or a show. In Matthew 4, 1 through 11, when Satan invited him to do so by casting himself down from the temple, he refused to tempt the Lord, his God. And I couldn't help but think also of the blind man in Mark 8:22. You know, unlike so-called healers today, what did he do with that blind man? He took him away from the crowd. And he brought just 12 other people with him. Who were they? His disciples. Why did he bring them along? To teach them. To teach them something about who he was. And yet the mind man, he healed all by himself there. He wasn't trying to put on a show. He was graciously dealing with us and at the same time teaching his disciples some marvelous things. He never did his great works to satisfy curiosity. Mark 8, 22, excuse me, Luke 23, 8, when Herod hoped to see a miracle he wouldn't do it. He just wanted to say, I want, I want to see a miracle. Show me. He wouldn't do that. And you know, another thing that came to my mind was he never expected his great works, his mighty works, to convert his enemies. No one was ever converted by his great works on earth. How was mankind converted or in a position where they could be? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. His final work was a work of redemption. His work on earth was done. But now he was doing the work of redemption. That's what enables us to be converted, brought into a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, some more positives. They were used, John 9, 3, that the works of God should be made manifest. Example, when asked why the man had been born blind. If you and I would have been there, we would ask the same question probably. Well, why was this man born blind? Did he sin? Did his parents sin? What was his response? That the works of God should be made manifest. That was his motive. John eleven four for the glory of God. When Lazarus, who had died, was raised from the dead, people said, well, why, why didn't you heal him from afar? You could have done that. You did it with others. But here it demonstrates God's love and power. His mighty works were always certain, definite, reliable. He cured all who came believing instantly, perfectly, and permanently, and without charge. And you know, there were always divine acts, these divine acts of compassion were teaching spiritual lessons. And of course, not everybody learned why, because they were not willing to listen or watch or view what he was doing. A couple of examples of these lessons that we learned. In feeding the multitudes, 
You know, we go over that story of feeding the 5,000, the 4,000, and all these things. Well, what was he really teaching there? Well, I'm sure many things, but you see, what he was teaching, basically, that he was the bread of life that came down from heaven, as we talked about in John 6 this morning. They couldn't see it. They weren't willing to listen to that. But he was teaching them this lesson. In touching the eyes of the blind, he taught that he could bring one out of darkness into his marvelous light. In raising Lazarus and the widow's daughter from the, the grave, he taught that he was the resurrection and the life. In cleansing the leper, he taught he could cleanse from sin and heal the sin-sick soul. There's two final thoughts here, because our time is gone. You know, people might say, you know, why did the Lord not do more about healing the sick and raising the dead and causing blind people to see and do all kinds of things? Why didn't he do more of those things? Well, you know, during his first coming, although the Lord refused no one that came to him, yet he did not proclaim universal healing or liberty to all the captives nor resurrection of all the dead. Example, he went to the pool of Bethesda, where there were multitudes who were lame, but he healed only one. When he stood by the grave of Lazarus, he called Lazarus, come forth. We left all the other ones in their graves, stay there. And you know, he came to set the prisoner free. And of course, we liken that primarily from the chains of sin, which he has done through his atoning death. But in the physical sense, you know, it's interesting. He freed Peter from prison through answered prayer. And yet, you know, people were praying for John the Baptist, who was his cousin. But he remained and was put to death in Heron's, Heron's dungeon. And people say, well, why? Well, in relationship to these three situations, the first reason is this. The redemption of the body is not yet. We still wait for that. The passage I want you to look at is Romans 8, uh, 18 through 23. You have to jot it down. We don't have time unless you want to be here a long time tonight. The day of the millennial blessing in righteousness in government is not yet. Tyrants still hold their cruel sway. And boy, are we seeing that in the news today. Oh, yes, it's still going on. Matthew 25, 31 is a verse you can read there, plus others. And in reference to the other one, the day when those in the grave shall come forth is not yet. That day is still coming. It's a future event. But he has taught us through his works all these marvelous things that he said would come to pass will come to pass. You know, our time is gone, so we're going to have to wrap things up here. But you know, the completion of his full salvation will be realized in the last days. And aren't we all looking forward to that? I know I am. 
but that is going to be at a second coming. And it isn't too far off, at least that's from my perspective. I think the coming of the Lord is truly drawing nigh. But in the meantime, you see how we should praise and thank our great God and Savior for the work he has done, the work he is presently doing, whether we understand it or not, and of course for the great work which he is yet to do. And just rejoice in the God of our salvation. Well, I hope these little thoughts on his earthly ministry has provoked some desire to pursue it further. Oh, pay attention to his words. <laughs> You'll never regret it. Seek to walk as he walked. And the Father will honor you. And work for the Lord. Work as he worked faithfully, no matter what. Looking forward to that blessed hope that we have in him. Shall we call us in prayer? Our gracious God and dear Heavenly Father, truly our hearts have been struck today as we've considered the greatness of your words, the example you set by your walk, and we marvel over your mighty works. And we've been reminded, Lord, that as your children, the very things that we have seen in you should be seen in us. We understand that there will be imperfections in us, the Lord, just grant with us a great desire to listen to your word, to obey your word, to live in obedience in every respect to your word, for your word is truth. We just pray, Lord, that you will enable us and have a desire to walk as you walked. The examples are before us in your life as recorded in scripture. We know we fall short so many times, and yet, Lord, our desire should be, and we trust is, to truly walk as you would have us walk, as Christ walked. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, that we may truly be willing to work and serve thee to your name's honor and glory. Oh, Lord, just help us through the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your word to make these things become more relative in our lives. Part us now with your blessing. We commit this dear assembly and each one of fellowships here to your care and keeping. Just continue to work in and through their hearts and lives to your name's honor and glory. We look forward to the day when once again we can be together. In the meantime, Lord, may we live for thee and serve thee and remain faithful to you in all things. We ask these things and give you the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen.